you know, uh, we're alone or we feel alone sometimes because we believe a lie. Um, God promises he'd be with us, and sometimes the faith to actually believe that is overwhelming to be able to do that, and even God needs to give us that. The other thing that keeps us so often from really knowing his presence is our own pride. Father, we come before you and... I mean, we can't imagine when you love someone as deeply as Doreen and her children love uh, their husband and father and, and God, when that's, that's taken and, and in this life, and yet we know there's a life to come, but in that kind of moment, God, the pain and the ability to walk through it, we are so grateful for the peace that you've given, the joy, for the, the sense of having community around in the midst of times of loneliness. And God, I pray, because I, 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 I believe there are some who are standing right now in your presence who feel that loneliness. And they feel alone, even though there's all kinds of people around. Father, we, we'd come before you and ask that you would be at work in their lives and their hearts. And Father, I also pray, God, because we rub shoulders with people every day who smile, look really competent, who are busy with their life, and they just look just fine, but they're alone. Father, one of the things we want to do this year is to be in a prayerful place where we're open to your Holy Spirit inviting us into places and into people's lives where we can be your presence. So God, I pray that you would help us be alert and aware to that very truth as we go throughout our day in the weeks to come. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Don't be seated. Okay? I just want to share with you because we're going to read scripture in a way a little bit different than we have in the past. But I want to, I want to share with you when someone tells you something once and then they remind you of it again and then they purposely, intentionally, a third time share with you the same thing, it's probably something you should pay attention to, something very important, correct? Well, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, the Spirit of God reveals in scripture Something that has been said in many different ways, but now is said directly. These words, let's say it together. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then less than 30, uh, 10 years after Jesus died, his brother James writes in James 4, 6, the second time these exact words are said, although it's spread throughout all the different stories you see in the life of Christ, he writes these words, and let's say them together. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And just a little 20 years or so after that, Peter, one of the inner circle of the three of Jesus, in writing a letter to a group of people spread throughout Asia Minor, writes these words. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, let's say it together, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then he ends with these words, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up 
And this is the part people don't like, in due time. Right now. That he may lift you up in what? Let's say in due time. Thanks, you may be seated. Today's story um, in this book of Esther illustrates this truth that we have said. But I pray it's not just an amusing story as it's told this morning, but I'm really praying in some ways it might be a bit of a disturbing story. One that not only causes you to laugh at some points in the story, but after you laugh, you take the very next step, because humor has a way of opening our hearts, and, and allow yourself to ask this question. Of what I've just heard, does any of it reflect me? Of what I've just heard, where does pride have a hold on me? It's really interesting is pride and fear and different emotions. A lot of times you can ask someone, do you feel proud? Do you feel fearful? And they'll say no until you bring up a specific occasion where it helps them understand, oh, that is the emotion I'm feeling. Well, pride is just like one of those kind of um, parts of us that, that is, it is so subtle, it is so sneaky in its hold on us, it is such a part of us, such a part of me, that at times I fail to see it. It's, it's kind of like bad breath, right? It's the kind of thing like everyone else smells it but you. And then someone might be kind enough to be able to pull you aside and, you know, and, and just, there was a commercial years and years ago, dates me, remember that one where they would tell you? Anyway, let's do a quick review. Last week, we find Mordecai encouraging Esther to plead to the king. She's to plead to King Xerxes for mercy. This means that she needs to reveal her identity, which she has been told by him not to reveal. Now, she's in a place where she's to tell them and to the king that she's a Jew. It also means her potential death because... She hasn't seen the king in a month, and as the Greek historian Herodotus tells and reports in his historical work, he says, anyone who approached the king uninvited would be put to death unless pardoned by the king. There is an edict throughout the land that says, according to Haman, and if you think of his name, Ham, you'll hear in the story, it fits well, he's a big ham. Anyway, um... There is an edict that says that every Jew should be killed on a certain day in that year. And so Mordecai comes to her and reminds her that her being queen at this time may not just be a coincidence. In fact, the verse of scripture that is so well known from this passage of scripture says, for such a time as this, says Mordecai, it may be that you're in this position, in this place, for this very purpose, to bring salvation to the Jews. Or maybe not. (laughs) Esther says, as she thinks about it, okay, I'll do it. She says it with resignation. It's not kind of like, okay, I'll do it. Yes! It's, if I perish, I perish. And once again, we're left with the question, where are you, God? What about your covenant to your people, which continues to come up? What about the people you say you love? Where are you in the midst of these kind of trials? And there's a sense of, will we see the name of God show up in the book? Because remember, in this book, the name is never mentioned. Could it be that he'll intervene now? 
And chapter 4 ends with Esther telling Mordecai that she'll go to the king, but only after all the Jews everywhere will fast for three days. For three days they will humble themselves before God. Why? Because, let's say this verse together, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Which fasting is one sense of saying, God, I am so fully dependent on you, more than I am for the bread that my that is needed for my life, the bread of heaven. You are needed for my spiritual condition. So let's pick up at chapter 5. As we walk through this, you'll find there's a theme. Humility finds favor. Pride is opposed. And there are so that I, like, when I was going through this, I, I, I came up with this idea that there are what I, what I call some never ever of pride. And I want you to watch from, I'll kind of point them out as we go through this passage. But I want you to watch from in this sense. Are these never evers operating in your life? May they be in a subtle, sneaky way, a part of you like bad breath. So in verse 1, chapter 5, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace, in front of the king's hall. Here's the big moment. The king who was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance, and so there had been a lot of his court and people in the court, she chooses to walk down that aisle, and and, and I'm sure they're all aghast, what's the king going to do? So without hesitation, after she fasts, she puts on the royal robes, the, the robes of, 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 of really her joy and her presence before the king. Because sackcloth and ashes, you don't bring negative things into the king. You don't bring your little worries. You don't bring any of those kind of concerns because the king wants to be happy. You don't disturb his peace. And if you do and you don't, he doesn't like it, you're dead. And you can almost hear her praying as she's walking along. God, please show me favor. God, God, please show me favor. Can you, can you, can you imagine that in your own mind? You're, God, please show me favor. And as she's doing it, she's reminded, she's anchored in a verse of scripture. One of the things I just tell you that is so important, and you heard from Doreen and from others, there are songs, there are scriptures specifically that God wants to anchor you in as truth when you move into things that take courage. And there's one scripture that I'm sure she was saying in the back of her mind, in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. It is this sense, and in the Lord's hand, the king's, his heart, in a sense, the Lord's, in the Lord's hand is the king's heart, and he will kind of channel it like a stream wherever he wants it to go. Please, Lord, have favor on me. Please, Father God, may your hand turn the king's heart favorably toward me. As she gets up there, we see in verse 2, when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her, and he held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached it and touched the tip of the scepter. For Esther and the Jews, she was, at that moment, their only hope. It was the ninth inning, two out, and a 3-2 count. Or for you Star Wars fans, this is kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi, the rebel's only hope. Again, notice there's no mention of God, but the king's favors mentioned. Maybe it was the king was just having a good day. Coincidence? Maybe. Kind of like, I was thinking as I was writing this, kind of like creation. Maybe this incredible work of nature all around us. The fact that the sun, the moon, stars, and the whole solar system have lined up in such a way so perfectly to allow life... Maybe it was all a coincidence. 
Maybe nature got lucky and just had a good day. And out of that primordial soup, some of you, when you hold a baby, go, wow, isn't it amazing? I'm so glad nature had a good day. Anyway. Verse 3, then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. Now, now I want you to know that he's not literally saying you get half the kingdom. He would have lost his kingdom in two requests. Because they would say this again and again. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's a statement that was rooted in history. There's a story in antiquity of a king who really did offer half his kingdom to anyone who could cure his son who had a terminal illness. And so that became come an expression of, uh, of, go ahead, ask for something really big. Ask for anything in a sense you want. It's kind of like what you say to your kids when they, you've had a really good day, they've been really good, and you say, tonight, you know, we're going to do whatever you want. Well, you know that has some limits, but it says big request as possible, Right? So we go on to verse 4, and it says, if it pleases the king, and Esther's reply is interesting, because you have to note that there's this humility. She's following protocol. If it pleases the king, if it pleases the king. A little bit later, we'll see with Haman, he doesn't really have to, in pride, he doesn't even use that. But if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. You expect her to ask the king to save the Jews. You're kind of in your mind as you're reading the story thinking at least she's going to ask that the king would demote Haman and maybe write an edict to the opposite effect that would put him to death and save the Jews. But she doesn't. She asks for a banquet. And, and, and the invitation here when he, she says to the king and she asks also Haman to be present is important to understand because Persians... Um, wouldn't allow anyone else near their wives or even, in a sense, near their harem. Only eunuchs. Only those who are safe. So for Haman to be invited to, as a special guest, was a, 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 a great honor, a high privilege. And, and so he's excited. He's been invited. He's thinking probably once again, you know, fate's on my side. It must be my personality. I'm really humorous. I'm really this good-looking guy. I'm sure the queen wants more time with me. Verse 5. That's all in the reading between the lines anyway. Um, verse 5. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what the father, uh, what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your quest? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Now here's the big moment. You can actually feel the tension. This, it seems like this is the time. And you begin to wonder, as Esther responds, she says, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition to fulfill my request. Let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's request. I begin to wonder, is she chickening out, too frightened to ask, like kind of standing at the edge of the high dive? You kind of look at it and you go, I don't think so. She keeps putting it off. But what is Esther doing? I think Esther is paying attention to her heart and to the spirit of God speaking to her heart. Because what we know in the next 24 hours that what happens, it is crucial. 
it is crucial in the next 24 hours for Haman's pride to put him in a position for a great fall. There's also something interesting here around, and, and I just make this as a side comment, if there's just too much to teach in this book, but there's banquets and there's fasts, and there's like two banquets where, um, and you have these kind of banquets where uh, there's pride and the decisions that are made in it come out of pride, and, and it, it may be they're drinking too much, whatever's going on, but King Xerxes rallies the troops, they get slaughtered, he in another banquet deposes the queen, and, and then there are these um, Two fasts, so then you have the two fasts, Mordecai's fast, Esther's fast. These number twos and the banquets and, and, and feastings are, are really important. The fastings are important. There's a banquet again. Esther has two banquets. And in it, um, Haman's pride again moves to a place where he does some stupid things. But you have to ask yourself, why is after this fast, is she banqueting? And, and part of the spiritual idea around this that I would love for you to understand is what I think what she's doing is, is when you come before God and you bring your need before God and you fast and say, God, I am solely dependent on you. And as you pray, and, and, and I've had this just recent in my life as I've been praying for a, a particular individual. I was praying again and again and again and again. And then after a certain point, I go, you know, God says when I pray, he hears my prayer. Sometimes he, he's just doing something in us. He goes, I heard you the first time, but it's okay because there's a work he's doing in us. But then at a certain point, the Spirit of God leads you to a place where you move from a fast to a feast and you say in faith, I stand in the truth that God has heard me and he will do what is right and I'm going to walk in praise. And you may be in that place and God is saying, it's time now to move from this place where you're just in, in kind of abject fasting and, and requesting and begin to pay attention and say, God, I'm going to proclaim and praise what you're going to do. Whatever it is, I'm going to walk in that. Okay, that was a little aside. Anyway, um, verse 9. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits, but when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And you get this feeling, and Haman's kind of walking out, and he's kind of going, I'm walking on sunshine. He, he, they liked that song back then. And oh, and it, don't it feel good? He's going like that, and all of a sudden he looks up. And here is this guy, Mordecai, standing tall, oblivious to him. Everyone else is falling on their knees before him. But not Mordecai. He is just still standing and not giving him the time of day. Probably looking at him in a sense, going, you know what? You can defy me, but you cannot defy my God. And so he's walking along, sees Mordecai, he's furious, and yet he kind of calms himself. Because, you know, um, people of pride, sometimes who really can get very far in life, are pretty good at controlling themselves. And he controls himself, and he, he walks by him, doesn't probably do much of anything, in my opinion, walks by him, and in his mind he's going to just work the plan, work the plan. Soon that guy and all his nation will be lost, gone. For good. So calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, verse 11, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I am the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction. As long as I see that the Jew Mordecai 
sitting at the king's gate. First thing I want you to notice, pride is never, ever full and satisfied. Verse 11, Haman's boasting. Verse 13, but this gives me no satisfaction. He can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) Though he try and he try. I thought that might be a good song, but anyway. He's boasting. Haman's filthy rich. He's actually boasting about its vast wealth. Haman's blessed not with just a couple kids, but according to this many sons, and in chapter 9, verse 10, we're told that he has ten sons. Again, the historian Herodotus reports that the Persians prized a large number of sons, second only to their valor and strength in battle. So their strength in battle was second, and the strength in producing sons was next in line. And and we're told that the kings of Persia, when they had someone in their land who had many sons, they would actually send gifts to them. And then we also read that Haman's number two in the entire kingdom, from India to northern Africa. He's number two. And to cap it off, Haman's been invited not merely to the feast with the king, but he's been invited to feast with the king and the queen. And not just once, but now twice. And yet with all that, Haman's not satisfied. Because pride is never, ever full and satisfied. A me-centered spirit will always find something that it wants more, and you'll find a me-centered spirit complaining and critical. So I want you to watch for that. Is that possible in your life? Can you, can you imagine? Here's a guy who has everything, and he's not even grateful. The smallest little thing, like a mosquito. You ever you had a beautiful night, and the mosquito's going around bugging you? And can you imagine being asked over to someone's house like these people had been, and here is Haman, boasting about everything, and then he finally lets out, you know, I've got it all but one thing. I was on a walk with my wife a couple weeks ago, and I was sharing with her I was struggling, I was going through all that, and Grace was, with the way she does, just listening. She's so good at listening. And, and at one point she says, do you recall when you started that struggle and when that began? thinking no not not exactly and and then in the way she's so gracious she just asked can I share what I've been thinking I'm going oh no (laughs) Uh, so I said yeah okay Um, she said about a week ago I heard in your conversation a lot of I did this or I came up with that and she shared just a little bit more and I listened and I looked at her and I said no, I never did that. No, anyway, um, I did. I, I, I listened to her and I go, you know, you're right. And I think she had kind of pinpointed some things. I had begun to turn my focus away from God and gratefulness and to myself and what I was doing. It started coming out in the way I was even talking. There's lots of signs that point to pride. If your spirit's excessively critical, you ever, you ever hear, has anyone ever said, you know, you're always negative? That's pride. If, if, if you uh, find yourself complaining and your heart's ungrateful, you have so much and yet you have never enough and it's just not good enough, excessive worry can be a form of pride. Uh, they say um, worry is just a subtle form of being an atheist. 
One commentator, as he was writing, he came across a pamphlet titled, How to Be Perfectly Miserable. And it lists some ways to do this, and I thought they might be something that would be helpful for us. It's indicative of pride. First, just think about yourself all the time. Talk about yourself a lot. Use the pronoun I as often as possible when you talk with others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. Demand agreement with your views on everything. Sulk if people aren't grateful for, or, or fail to notice you. And never forget a service you've done. Expect to be appreciated. Be suspicious. Trust nobody but yourself. Be overly sensitive, often offended. I can't believe they would say that. Be jealous and envious. And never forget a criticism. Because pride is never full and satisfied. And it may be that the Spirit of God, as I am speaking right here, might be pointing out some bad breath of pride in our own hearts. Verse 14, his wife Zeresh and his friends all said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman. And he had the pole set up. I think Haman's going, this is a great idea. There's no reason to wait. I can swat that annoying mosquito now. I don't have to wait. That's exactly what I'll do. Man, you guys are brilliant. And so the pole, you have to understand, 50 cubits high is really about 70 feet high. Most historians say the entire structure was probably 70 feet high. It wasn't a 75-foot pole. And it was possibly built near Haman's house, which would have been near where the king was at and others, on the um, wall. So it was high up so that everyone could see it. That's what he was hoping for. Everyone would see this rotten Jew Mordecai impaled. In fact, when he had his breakfast and he was sipping his tea or coffee, whatever it is, he could look up and he could just go, see... You wouldn't bow, so you're going to be up there. I'll take care of you. And the word pole is actually an interesting thing. It means pine, plank, or timber, or tree. And it's not what you would think of kind of a hangman's noose or something, remember, you'd see in a Western movie, kind of those gallows and stuff. But um, it was a spike of, of wood thrust into the ground, and on it a person was impaled. In fact, this was really the first crude form of crucifixion. It was invented by the Persians, but perfected by the Romans, and it was on that that Jesus eventually died. The next thing I want you to note here, we, he's with his family, and you can just, they're all full of pride. Pride never, ever remains alone or isolated. Think about that. It's never alone or isolated. Pride is incredibly contagious. It begets pride. Um, you either model pride, parents, or you model humility. And your kids catch one or the other. Families, businesses, athletic teams, churches become infected with pride. Sometimes all it takes is a little success. Just think about the church for a second. It's founded on a person who left his home in heaven, grew up in poverty, faithfully worked as a common laborer, didn't go to college, hung out with disreputable outcasts, took grief for doing that, and eventually went to die a humiliating, ignominious death on a cross. And then Jesus said, follow me, be humble like me, live like me, reach out to those who are less fortunate, have compassion for those who struggle, sacrifice yourself and your time and your resources to help others. And then look at the church, sometimes often just a little success and we get lost. 
and we lose our way and pride sets in and we're concerned about our comfort, we're too busy to help, we're tapped out to give, we're easily offended, we close ourselves off in clicks, we look down on those who are down and we sing in church our gratefulness to God and we go out during the week and live like it all depends on us. And it's funny, that which is founded on humility can so easily get lost in pride. Andrea, I send these out, these messages, and I get help from Shelly and Andrea and George and others and sent this out, and she just wrote back, imagine a church. Remember we were talking about imagine a church that does whatever it takes? I love this. Imagine a church that does whatever it takes to rid themselves of pride so that, in humility, they can serve those around them, the West Metro, in the name of Jesus. So we're at the literary center of the book, and we've got to start moving here. Um, chapter 6, verse 1, That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles and record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. And it was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed Bichthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. So you get this idea, and here in this little section you're going to see coincidence after coincidence. Just watch this. The king can't sleep. And there's these parallels again to the story of Joseph. In Genesis, we read the Pharaoh also is unable to sleep, actually has a dream. He asks for someone to interpret it, or you might say read it to him, so he can fall back asleep. And like Joseph, who was once forgotten, he's in prison, he is now remembered, so also here is Mordecai, once forgotten, now being remembered. And the king asked someone to read the chronicles of his reign. The Hebrew verb means they kept on reading all through the night. It's like turning on a TV if you can't fall asleep at night. So that just have that noise in the background. But the thing is that they had the noise in the background. These historical records are really congressional records. So they're not just good history. It's really boring history. And nothing like a little boring history to get you to fall back to sleep. So that's what he's reading. And then catch this, of the thousands of items recorded each year, he happens to hear the account of Mordecai, which had happened four years earlier. Coincidence? Providence? What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. He discovers he failed to, in some way, honor Mordecai. In a Persian realm, um, again, Herodotus makes it very clear that the Persian kings were known for honoring those who had done well. They would reward them. And part of it is because fate, you wanted fate on your side. And I'm thinking, he's thinking, man, I'm having some bad luck these days. I better, that's maybe what's been causing this string of bad luck. I better honor this guy. And it's early in the morning and suddenly... Around sunrise, he hears someone in the courtyard. Coincidence? The king said, who is it in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about the impaling of Mordecai on the pole he had set up. Haman happens to be there. No, his attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in. And uh, the king ordered. And what's really interesting is, is, what I want you to note here is, is pride is is never large and in charge. You 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 may think you're in charge, but it only looks that way. I love this. There are a series of coincidences. Haman thought he had so much and that he had, was in such control and he was planning this out, and yet he didn't. If you look at this passage of scripture, there are just a number of what I call trivial coincidences, and I just love how God takes small things. 
He takes small things in our life. He doesn't really need a lot. He could just have some stones and a sling in a person's hand, and he can pull down a, a huge giant. He can take a little girl named Mary, and she can have a baby, and all she says is, here I am, I'll do whatever you ask. Or, or you can have a guy, with a little kid with some, some loaves and some fish, and he comes to Jesus, and he does this big miracle. Because God just uses the little things in your life. And a lot of times, the little things are occurring as you're walking along. And, and it's only till you look back, and you go, wow, those little trivial consequences, they were so imperceptible, I hardly saw them. God is everywhere big in it, even though his name is never mentioned. And these trivial things happen at camp and the king falls asleep. The king happens to read the official records. He happens to remain awake long enough to hear that about Mordecai. And Haman happens to come in early in the morning. And king happens to hear someone early in the morning. And on and on and on. And, and, and what's so interesting about this is pride is, is never ever large and in charge. It, it, it just seduces us to thinking we're in control. Until the market crashes or the industry goes downhill or, or, or our bank account, something happens there or we have an illness or, or something occurs in our life and eventually we realize, you know what, we never really had control in the first place. It seduces us into thinking that we're in control. And so verse 6, when Haman entered, the king asked him what should be done for the man the king delights to honor. Now Haman thought to himself, who is it that the king would rather honor than me? Duh. What I love is the irony of this story. He gets to decide to honor the person he hoped to hang. He's so vain and proud, he's trapped into his own setting. Because pride never, ever is safe and secure. It's just a house of cards, and it looks good from the outside, but it is frail, ready to fall at God's slightest breath. All we think that we have. And we're told that pride doesn't end well, and it may be that God is calling you to a place, because pride is merely depending on yourself and on your own abilities. It's merely saying, in a sense, God, thank you, but not now. Proverbs sixteen eighteen states, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And the message puts it this way, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. I like that. Because pride lures us into a place of false security and you start believing your own headlines. There was a ship built once and it was said to be unsinkable, a ship that even God couldn't sink according to the headlines. And it sank on its maiden voyage. You remember the name? What was the ship? You're really good. There was a harbor that was considered invincible. It had the latest military equipment. It was run by some of the best and brightest military leaders in our nation. And yet... It was also led by some men who were more concerned with advancement than national security. And you remember what that harbor was? Pearl Harbor. There was a space shuttle blasting off into space. It was becoming so routine that NASA thought, it's a great idea. Let's put a teacher on this flight and have all the students watch. And only 73 seconds after it took off, it twisted and turned and fell to the ground. All because some top executives went listen to some lower-level engineers. And this catastrophic shuttle was named... Challenger. There's a guy, he had it all, everything. Good looks, talented, intelligent, wise. Known as he's gifted in the arts and dance and athletics. He was a physical specimen and his name was Kevin. No. Um, 
He's commanding in voice. He had the world by its tail, and one day, like lightning, he fell, and his name was Lucifer, Satan. There's this sense that when pride's got a hold of our heart, we don't see the end. And so we think we can live disconnected from other people, and we don't get into groups where we're um, studying God's word and being connected with one another and sharing our lives. And we think, oh, you know, it doesn't matter if I go to church that often. It doesn't matter. What's this whole thing about worship? It's a little overrated. It's real easy to start thinking, yeah, the Bible, I've got enough smarts. I've, I've, I've studied it long enough. Pride is so subtle, you don't even see it, you don't even feel it, and you start thinking it could never happen to me. So he answered the king, for the man that king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe, and the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head, which historically you can see in pictures of the Persians on the walls that, that these horses, would they, when they would do this, they'd put this crown on their head as a way of kind of stating this honor. And and then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just what you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. And I go, ouch, that has got to hurt. You know, I read this story. It's so funny. We do this with Bible stories all the time. So much of the Bible, there's so much humor in it, but we become so glum and so morose. You know, God, I think, just has such joy. I can't wait. This is a clip I want to see someday in heaven. So Haman got the robe and the horse, and he robed Mordecai, and he led him on the horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Oh, you could just hear it. And again, the allusion to Joseph, because the Pharaoh said about Joseph, have him in my chariot and have a man shout before him, make way, or literally bow down by your knee. And afterward, verse 12, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened. And his advisors and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to room. <laughs> what great friends. He's looking for comfort, and they're going, yeah, we told you to put the pole up, but now we're telling you you're really you know, dead meat. Anyway, um, and you see here Haman just falling, and he hasn't quite landed yet. Um, while they were talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. you got to come back next week to hear the rest. But let me just tell you, pride never end, ever ends well because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble and I just want you to really think about it. We're going to take a moment to pray right now. And I want you to think. And just, I'm going to ask you with your head bowed. So just would you take a moment for me and just bow your head. Because it's a choice. You may not even realize it right now. And God's Holy Spirit might be speaking to your heart. 
You maybe never have opened your heart to God and you've been doing it on your own. You thought you could do it and for some reason God's led you here and if you've been here, you've been, you've been convicted of the sense that you need God but your pride has, has kept you from opening your heart to him. And right now he's saying, just humble yourself and let me in. I do not want you to fall. I do not want you to experience the pain of the choices that you're setting up in your own heart and life. Some of you in your marriage, you're in a place where, where God's been calling you. You do need to get some counseling. You do need some help. But you've been just you're too proud to say, you know, I don't want other people to know. But you know what? Who cares? It's for your relationship. It's for your children. It's for what you need. I don't know where God is calling you, but I just sense there are people that God is working in their hearts right now. And his heart is breaking for you because he wants to give you favor. But God opposes the proud. He stands against. You know that if you're living in pride, you're actually fighting against God. And he will fight back. And I want you to know he will win. But to anyone who just in there. This dependency is willing to bow their knee. Is willing to quit saying, I need to be right. Is willing to take their mind off themselves and to begin to say, God, help me put it on other people. Anyone who is willing to fast and say, God, I need you more then I need my own wisdom in this. He will enter in and show favor. Just open your heart before God. Just say, God, come into my life right now. I don't even understand what the next steps are, but I, I do know the first step. And the first step is that you would come into my, my heart right now. I need you. I need you. I need you. Oh, Lord, I need you. I need you every hour, every moment. I need you. Deal with my critical spirit. God, help me with my complaining attitude. God, help me. Help me. And show favor. If that's your heart, just I just pray, Lord Jesus, if there has been decisions made and people have opened their heart, if you're in a place where you've never opened your heart, it's just a simple thing. You just say, dear Jesus... I recognize I'm a sinner. I ask your forgiveness and I invite you into my life to begin to walk with me from this day on. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I I ask you to forgive me and I, I invite you in my life to walk with me from this day on. If you want that in your heart, he hears that. And I pray in the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit of God, seal these decisions that are made here this morning. And I pray this in Christ's name. Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor. He shows favor. He delights to show favor on those who walk in humble dependence on him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.